Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, if you, if you mention revival and you start talking about revival, uh, a lot of times whenever you, you ask people, what is revival? Maybe you, you ask for a definition. If you were to do that in a group of people, you would probably get as many differing definitions as there are people in the group. Because revival is, is sort, of like, um, sort of like some rare, elusive animal that exists. And many people have heard about it, but very few have actually seen it. And there may be a lot of misinformation about it. And then when people say they have seen it, in many cases, it's the result of misidentification. And it's not really what they're truly seeing. So as we start this series on revival, called Revive Us Again This Morning, I want us to just look at some things that revival is and some things that revival is not. Uh, because it's important to understand that. And when God operates a revival, we understand there are certain things biblically that you see, and there are certain things that we tend to think of as expectations of revival, but those aren't really components of revival. Well, as we get started, I think it's a good idea just to define revival. And I think it's a good idea just so we'll have a working definition whenever we say revival. Uh, you'll know what we're talking about over the next few weeks. And in the days to come, we talk about revival. And again, numerous definitions out there. But I'll tell you my working definition of it. My working definition of revival is this. It is a special God-given awareness of his presence among his people. I'll say that again. It's a special God-given awareness of his presence among his people. Now, I know we might say, yes, but revival is also, and, and what we're talking about when we do the yes, but, and also, those are usually the results of revival. But we can say, biblically speaking, that revival is a special time, it's a unique time, but it is a God-given, it's a God-given type of activity. So it's, it's God who gives an awareness of his presence among his people. Now, another helpful thing, and, and some theologians have differentiated between these different aspects of revival, if you will, the big umbrella of revival, and I think it's probably helpful that they would say when an individual or a few people experience that type of God-given awareness, then that is called a renewal. They, have, they are renewed. But when that renewal is more widespread in the body of Christ, we would call that a revival. And then when it spills out into the culture at large, it can be called an awakening. You think about the first and second great awakening or great awakenings in America. That is when revival began with renewal with a few people. That, those few people, it ended up spreading to larger groups of people who knew Christ already. And then it spread out 
throughout the culture and people who were not Christians, who did not know Jesus, were brought into the family of God because they recognized this God-given awareness. Now, with that in mind, how does that help us as we approach this idea of revival? Well, I want us to look at one verse today, and then I want us to go through some other kind of verses to back that verse up and back up the idea. It's found in Psalm 51. David is uh, repenting over his sin. And in Psalm 51:12, we find these words, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. It's David praying, and granted, he is praying for forgiveness. He is praying a prayer of repentance. But he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He's praying to God, asking God to restore the joy of his salvation. I was reading that verse and I was thinking back to whenever I made a decision to follow Christ when I was about six years old. And I remember having a recognition and understanding of God's holiness, my sinfulness. I remember praying there on the top bunk that, that God would forgive me. And then I remember telling people what it was like. I remember telling someone, uh, I remember, um, Mom, I don't even know if you know this. My mom's here this morning. I don't even know if you, you know the story. Uh, we, were, we were going along the road, and, and my, my father had a flat tire uh, just a few miles away from our house. And this was like a week or so after I had, I had followed Christ. And so we were out on the side of the road, and, and my dad was changing the tire. And I remember looking at my younger brother, and I remember looking at him, and I said, let me just tell you, it was like God took a giant broom and swept Satan out of my heart. And I was so excited. I guess that was the first metaphor I'd ever used about salvation. And, and I remember my, my dad looking at me and saying, okay, son, just calm down, calm down. And I said, no, that's what it was like. It was just, whoo. I mean, he was gone. It was Jesus then. And I just remember telling my younger brother about that. And I just remember this joy that I had over my salvation. And then you know what happens as time goes on, you know, you make a decision to follow Christ and you get involved with the church. And then sometimes people in the church will be like, oh, don't worry. That'll die down. You'll get over that. And, uh, and then it's just, and then it's like, okay, hey, where's, where's the joy? Where's the joy of my salvation? Where's the joy of your salvation? So David is praying for repentance, yes, but there's that phrase, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's one of the things that happens in revival, in renewal. There is a restoration of these elements of salvation that we have experienced, now understand what I mean by this. This is why you're, the, the title of this sermon is New Life and Renewed Life. New life is whenever you come to Christ in salvation. You make, a, you make a faith decision to follow Christ. You come to him and that is you are given new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes, dwells within you. You are adopted in the family of God. You are declared not guilty by the righteousness of Christ. You are brought into his family. So we find that that's new life. But then you have the renewed life. Now, does that mean that you get saved a second time? No, not at all. Does that mean there's a second blessing that is awaiting you that you have to seek out? No, that's not what it means either. 
The idea of a renewed life is just what we're talking about. It is when God operates in a special way to bring you an awareness of his presence. And so if you're a follower of Christ, you already have his presence. You already have the Holy Spirit. But that renewed life is very similar to what happens with a new life, except now this is on the other side of salvation, so to speak. There's a restoration of some of the elements of salvation that maybe, maybe you've forgotten. Or maybe it got shuffled to the back. Maybe you don't think about them much. But God brings that awareness back. I remember whenever I came to Christ, there was just like everything was fresh. Everything seemed new. Everything, you know, I was, as much as I could understand as I would read God's word, I was reading his word even at that young age. And, and it was just, it just was different. And in the same way, when we experience that renewal, that revival, that awakening, then we approach God with that God-given awareness of his presence. What does that look like, biblically speaking? Well, let's talk about it. First of all, we have the idea of initiation. God starts it, and so we must receive it as a gift. God starts salvation. God starts revival. Both of them. The new life, God's the one who starts it. The renewed life, it's a God-given awareness. Listen to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Who loved the world? God did. So who gave? God gave. God is the initiator. God's the seeker. God's the one who does this work. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love. God gives. God shows his love. And so we have to understand that God is the one who initiates both salvation. God's the one who initiates revival. And so we receive it as a gift. That means we can't work it up. You can't work up revival any more than you can work up salvation. So you have to be careful with that. Because so many times people say, it's just a matter of these things. You put these things in place, in this order, in this way, and then people are going to respond. Can I just tell you, it, there, there are people who will manipulate individuals, manipulate people, manipulate whole churches in order to try to initiate some sort of movement of God that isn't even a movement of God. We talked about this last week. We can prepare. We prepare our hearts. We prepare our minds. We prepare our lives. And it's like sailing a ship, we mentioned. You can make, your, make sure that your, your ship is seaworthy. You can set your sails. You can have everything in order and intact. But you can't provide the wind. Only God provides the wind. And whenever revival is being spoken of, we have to understand, we prepare, but God's the one who sends the wind. So God starts it, so we receive it as a gift. We receive revival as a gift. Secondly, the idea of revelation. God shows his holiness and our sinfulness. We must remain humble. So just as in salvation, God shows his holiness. He shows our sinfulness and our need for a savior. So too, there is a deep awareness of that that takes place during revival. 
during revival, people have that special God-given awareness of his presence. And his presence is a holy presence. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's where we are before we come to Christ. We are far off. We are removed. We are distanced from him. Why? Because of our sin. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. Not only separation in our life here, but there's this spiritual death if we die without Christ. There's a spiritual death awaiting us and we will be eternally separated from him. And so with salvation, we understand there's a sinfulness of my own heart. There's a sinfulness in my mind, my life is colored by this and because of that i'm distanced from god and whenever revival occurs not you start to realize that with revival and that special awareness of god you see the things where you are not meeting god's holiness the things that are in your life that you are saying i need to repent of this i need to bring this to god i need to lay it before him i need to forsake that And there's this fresh awareness of God's holiness, a fresh awareness of our sin. So we have to remain humble. This 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus suffered in our place. And so he suffered in our place because we were unrighteous and he took our place. That's That's an incredible act that should bring great humility to our hearts. Not only coming to him in salvation, but also experiencing that revival and that renewed life. There's a humility that comes with that. We get ourselves in the right place whenever God clearly shows himself and we understand his ultimate holiness. A number of years ago, I was, uh, some of you know, I, I taught for about a decade in different schools. And there was a school that I taught at up in Tennessee And there was this young man that a group of people had been praying for. They had been praying that he would get saved. And he got saved during one of what we refer to as our spiritual emphasis weeks. It was a time where it was like like the revivals that we talked about last week that would take place in in churches. And so they would have a, a speaker come and speak. And so it was after or toward the end of that spiritual emphasis week where we would have a chapel time every day that this young man was saved. And immediately, whenever he got saved, this, this group of people, these group of students who'd been praying for him just gathered around him, and they were so excited. Well, let me tell you what happens. Uh, that, that happens, and then they, they said, Can we, could we have a time where he could give his testimony the next week? And the, the school leadership said, sure. And so they had a special chapel time, and, and he talked about that. And he was just very passionate. And, and then uh, some of the kids said, I think this may be revival. And, and they, they took this young guy aside and they said, we want you to be our leader. And so uh, they came and they were talking to me in my classroom about it. And I said, that's a bad idea. And I said, why? I said, well, this, this guy's been saved like two or three days. And they said, well, he can still, he can still go. And he can. I said, yeah, but I, I, think, I think you need to put somebody alongside him that maybe is a little more seasoned. They can walk with him through this. They said, oh, no, 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 no. So they went and they talked to the headmaster and the headmaster said this, y'all, if this is real revival, then God's the one who's going to do that, right? 
And, and so this young guy, he, he wanted, they asked if they could, he could speak the next day. And so he spoke. And then I remember he said this, I was in the, I was in the chapel service and, and he says, everybody who does not want to go to hell, come forward. Well, you can imagine there was not an empty seat or not a full seat. Uh, every seat was empty because nobody wants to go to hell. And then all the kids said, this is revival. And I said, I don't think it's revival. I mean, who's going to sit out there like, yeah, I choose damnation. I'm going to, yes, no one, no one, no one's going to do that. Well, that didn't last. It, it, it just, it, it just fizzled within a matter of days. But I remember there were these three kids that were deeply, deeply moved and changed by that season. Deeply changed. They, they met in my classroom after school for months after that, meeting together, doing Bible study after school, and it literally changed their lives. Now, was it revival? Probably not. Was it a genuine renewal for those three students? I have no doubt that it was. And, and the, the, the young man that, um, that said that he made this profession of faith, he, he actually went to that group and he said, you know what, I don't, want, I don't really want to do this anymore. Uh, it was fun while it lasted, but I, I'm not, this just isn't my thing. And then he just sort of stepped back from everything. And you know what happened? He went right back to exactly the way that he had been living before. Um, and, and, and despite all sorts of effort and all sorts of outreach to him, he just sort of just went back to the way that he did everything before that. But was God at work? Well, I think God was doing something. Because there were three kids that I know that they were, they were deeply changed. And one of the things that happened in them is that they saw this holiness of God. And that's one of the things that they spoke of often. Is God is so holy. He is just so holy. He is so holy. He is just so holy. And so there was this recognition of that of the aware, there was this awareness, God-given awareness of his presence. Uh, next, in revival, God works in accordance with his word. So therefore, we must evaluate experience through scripture, not emotion. That's the same with salvation. It's the same with revival. If we're going to evaluate an experience, we do it through God's word. We do not do that through emotion. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as the first importance, Paul writing, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What's Paul writing about? He's using this phrase, in accordance with the scriptures. He's talking about prophecy. He's talking about the wholeness of God's word. And he's saying this was part of God's plan. And Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and being raised on the third day was in accordance with what had been written and what God had communicated in his word. So even the message of Christ, but even the act of Christ dying on the cross, he says, this is all in accordance with scripture. It wasn't that it happened and then after the fact, we're going to write about it, and that is going to be in accordance with the scripture. No, he's saying Jesus dying on the cross was in accordance with the scripture that had already been written, that had already been foretold, that God had already promised. 
So God is acting in accordance with his word. Jeremiah 1.12, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Psalm 138.2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. God works in accordance with his word. Therefore, we use God's word to evaluate any experience, salvation, revival. We use God's word to evaluate that, not our emotion. Let me tell you one thing that is very common, not just in modern revival movements, but if you go back and you study past revival movements, you go back and study all these revival movements throughout history. I'll just give you kind of the Cliff Notes version. Because you'll be surprised. Because what you hear about is the first great awakening, Jonathan Edwards. You hear about Whitfield preaching. You hear about all these people being saved. And you hear about this, this awareness of God that just gripped colonial America. You hear about the second great awakening. And you hear about Charles Finney. And you hear about his preaching. And you hear about how he preached. And all these people were coming to Christ. And you hear about all these other revivals scattered out. The Welch Revival, 1904-1905. You hear about the prayer revival that took place in the 1800s in America. You hear about these different revivals and we are tempted to just read them and say, oh, well, that's, that's wonderful, that was great, and it was. But if you start really studying them, you start studying what opposition did they have? What are some of the negative things that came out of it? Oh, now you're just being a party pooper, Pastor. No, you start studying those and you're you're one of the main things that you find. They were always combating emotionalism. I'm not saying emotion, emotionalism. People operating from just an emotional standpoint. Not based on the word of God, not based on the spirit of God, not based on the work of God, but their emotions got worked up. You find it all the way back in the first great awakening. Jonathan Edwards wrote a, a treatise about this and talked about how you had to guard against emotionalism. And you find that in the second great awakening, not only did they not guard against a lot of emotionalism, they tried to stir up a lot of emotionalism in order to create some results. So you have to be careful with gauging things by your emotions. One of, the, one of the most commonplace things that you find is the God chaser phenomenon is what it's called. And some people have probably called it other things. But the God chaser is basically this. Uh, they hear about a revival taking place and they will, they will cross state lines to come to, to get involved and get in the middle of the revival. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to travel where there's a revival taking place. Absolutely. But these people are sort of the, I, I say they're kind of the spiritual equivalent of the, of the groups of people that like to travel around the nation and ride different roller coasters at different theme parks whenever they open. It's basically, and there's nothing wrong with that. But spiritually speaking, it's like almost like thrill-seeking personalities. Like, I, I got to go where the Holy Spirit's moving. And then, like, if it gets a little cool there or something, oh, well, he's gone. I got to go find him now. I got to go. I got to God chase. Can I just tell you, I've met some God chasers in my ministry and in my lifetime. Can I just tell you something? And this may sound hard. But I'll just tell you, I've never met a single God chaser who, was, who seemed to be, or at least gave evidence of being a growing, maturing, deep disciple of Christ. 
They were just surface, all surface, all emotion. You talk to him about where, what's God doing in his word. I talked to one of these God chasers at one point in time. I said, man, what's God been teaching from his word? He said, I don't even read God's word anymore. He said, I got past that. He said, God just speaks to me directly. I don't even have to read his word now. I said, man, there's a problem with that because God works according to his word. He said, yeah, but God gives me a fresh word. I said, you need to watch it. You need to be really careful, man. That's how cults gets formed. I mean, in the, at the worst, that's how they get formed. Don't do that, right? But we have to go by God's word. And can I, just, can I just say, I've talked to people over the years and they'll say something like this. Well, I know when the Holy Spirit's moving in my life because I get goosebumps. That may not be the best and only indicator of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, just to let you know. I mean, it could be a cool breeze, okay? You could be sitting under a vent, I'm just saying, all right? So we need to biblically know the difference between the Holy Spirit and a draft. I mean, because... That can, be, that can be serious because I've had people say, well, I just didn't, I didn't feel the Holy Spirit. I didn't get goosebumps. I, I know when the Holy Spirit works in me, I get goosebumps. Okay, can we, can we use a biblical standard instead of goosebumps? I'm not saying there isn't emotion, but we can't go by emotion only. We go by his word. Uh, next, God acts through the Holy Spirit. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, God acts through his Holy Spirit. We must avoid human efforts to sustain, manipulate, or add to God's work. That's always the temptation. God works by his spirit. God's Holy Spirit, he is the agent of change. He is the one who operates new life. He is the one who, who moves us into revival. It all, it's all by his operation. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6. Such were some of you. Now he's given a laundry list of all sorts of sins. All sorts of terrible things he has already given that list and he says and such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god how were you justified declared not guilty how were you sanctified set apart for god's purpose by the spirit of god god works by his spirit and so we have to avoid human efforts because what we want to do is we want to start meddling with what God starts. God operates a revival and we're like, oh, we got to keep this going. We got to keep it moving. We're going to manipulate it and change it and twist it and tweak it to our liking instead of just allowing God to work. John six sixty three. it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. God acts through his Holy Spirit. God's the one who does it. Can I tell you something really disturbing that you find as you look through the history of revivals? That many case, in many cases, when God begins to operate a revival, Satan will begin to operate a revival. And you would say, well, how can Satan operate a revival? You mean people worshiping Satan? No. But Satan will get people off just a few degrees and then let them go. Because you, you realize that Satan does not have to get you to a point where you hate God. All he has to do is get you to a point that you love something as much as God or more than God. He doesn't have to get you to hate God. He'll, he'll, he'll give you something that you love in order to get you off track. I call that a blessing from below. I know some people are like, Satan doesn't bless. Are you kidding me? Have you looked? Have you looked at some of the false teachers that we have in, an, in our nation and in the world today? 
And you mean to tell me, you know God's not blessing them. Somebody's doing some blessing. And somebody will continue to do some blessing to, content, to help you continue to do exactly what you've been doing if it's oppositional to God or if it's a few degrees off. I've had people say, well, I know that, I know that, that, that it's not Satan because these people preach Jesus. And, and, and Satan can't stand the name of Jesus. Wait a minute. You find Satan in the demons using the name of Jesus sometimes in the Bible. It's even speaking to him directly. No, the idea is this. The idea is Satan will allow you or even encourage you to worship a Jesus if your Jesus is not the Jesus of God's word. No, I'm worshiping this Jesus and this Jesus just cares about my comfort and this Jesus just cares about what I want and this Jesus is all about me. And Satan will go, you can have that Jesus because Satan knows that's not this Jesus. That's a different Jesus. So run with that Jesus. Oh yeah, you can have him. Satan will begin to operate He can operate a parallel revival that is running contrary to the real thing. And if we aren't careful, we'll fall for it. And we'll say, oh, that must be, that must be, that must be of God. Look at what's happening over there. Look at what's happening here. Look at what's happening here. You have to go back to the word of God and the spirit of God in order to be lined up. Whether that's with coming to Christ or whether that's being renewed in Christ. All right. Y'all got to listen faster. All right. (laughs) Next, God leads us toward maturity. We must bear the evidence of spiritual change and deeper growth. God is the one who leads us toward maturity. God's the one who continues that work in our lives. Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Think about revival like this. Think about revival like a, a charcoal fire, right? You take the charcoal, you pile it up, you make that big pyramid, you, you squirt the lighter fluid on there. And I know some of you are saying, well, you know, I'd really like to use that pre-soaked. Yeah, it's much more fun with the lighter fluid, just letting you know. You, know, you pre-soak, you, know, you soak it down with the lighter fluid, and then you light it up. And then as soon as you light it up, what do you do? You go and you get your steaks, and you go and you put them over the fire. No, that's not what you do. Because there's this big flame that takes place, very visible, lots of heat. Lots of light, lots of energy, and then that flame dies down, and the coals form. And then you spread those coals out, and you put the grate on there, and then you start cooking the food, and you can do that for a long period of time. Revival is very much the same way. There is in revival an initial, true revival, there is an initial great light, great heat, great fervor, great energy. But then what happens is that energy kind of gets transferred into a deeper type of growth that takes place. And that, that energy from that revival, the Holy Spirit working, sustains growth, sustains change over a longer period of time, even though it might not be as grand or as obvious or as visible as that first time of revival is. It's the same way with our salvation. You have that moment you come to Christ and 
things are new and things are fresh and things are different. And the idea is that you grow by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the word more into his likeness. And then you go into this period of this, this sustained growth where you're, you're sustained by his word, you're sustained by his spirit, and you're growing deeper. So here's what happens in revival. You're saved and then you're growing and there's that sustained growth and then maybe you reach a point that things get a little cold. Things get a little stale. You seem a little distanced. God's people may seem distanced. You just don't have that, 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 that desire and that passion and that intimacy that you once had. Well, renewal, when that takes place, is we, we seek out God, we prepare, we prepare our hearts. And then God, through his word and by his spirit, operates that renewal or operates that revival or operates that awakening. And when God does that, now we have a deeper understanding or a clearer view, an awareness of his presence. And that gives us that moment where, or a time where we grow into his likeness kind of at an accelerated pace. But it, it, it's not just a matter of, okay, well, people are getting saved or or worship is really great, or, or I'm really excited about God's work. No, it's all of that. It's all of the things, listen, it's all of the things that God says happens to us as we grow in the likeness of Christ that he reveals in his word, except it just seems accelerated and at a deeper, richer level. That's the idea. Sometimes we act like revival is this, is this little detour that we take to get back on the road of boredom that's not it what happens is this accelerated time of growth in christ and then it and then it sustain it is sustained for a longer period of time after that initial time philippians 1 6 i'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ god is the one who leads us to spiritual maturity and so we bear that evidence of that spiritual change and that deeper growth whether it's from salvation or whether it's a renewed life there's a deeper growth there's a renewed type of passion for god so we have deeper prayer there's a greater love for his word there's a passion for evangelism there's a closer unity with each other there's more directed worship that exalts the holiness of god in our hearts all of those things take place whenever revival takes place it's not just one of them no it's all of those things why is it all those things because those are all the things that happen whenever we're growing in christ and revival is an accelerated time of that finally God is made known, so we must seek the glory of God. God, is, God will be made known. There's a passion for evangelism, and when true revival occurs, people are passionate about going and telling others about Christ. It's not a come and see mentality. Oh, we got revival going on at the church. Y'all ought to be here. No, no, no. We've got revival going on among the people of God let me tell you about the greatness of my God. It's not a come and see. It's a go and tell. That, that's the basis of the Great Commission. The Great Commission doesn't say, pack as many lost people as you can in the church and then let one person on the stage do all the work to communicate the message of the gospel to them. That's not what the Great Commission says. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That's what Jesus says. Go. And whenever revival takes place, Revival usually will spill out 
and people go and people tell others about it. You don't hold revival to yourself. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There's a promise. The gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations, and then the end will come. John 12, 32, and I, Jesus speaking, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When Jesus is lifted up, he's lifted up on the cross. He's lifted up in our hearts as we live sacrificed lives. When Jesus is made known and we make much of Jesus, then Jesus draws people to himself. That's it. But the, the bottom line is God is the one who does all of this. We are participants in this. We are participants with each other in this. We're not spectators. No, we are participants in worship. And God is the recipient of the worship. God is the audience. We are the worshipers. And so whenever we come before God and we start praying for revival, we need to understand exactly what we're asking for. We're asking God to do a work only he can, a special work, a unique work. But we're asking him to do a work, and we're asking him to give that to us. And what we're asking is for this new, fresh, deeper awareness of who he is and that it starts among his people. That's what we're praying for when we pray for revival. And when other things happen... We have to go back to God's word and we have to make sure that those things are in accordance with God's word. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not emotion. There will be when God sends revival. That doesn't mean there's not excitement. There will be. There will be incredible times of worship. There will be deeper times of prayer. There will be a love for God's word. There'll be a unity among believers. There'll be a, there'll be a desire for the truth of God's word. There'll, there'll be people who want to let others know about the hope that is found in Christ. All those things, yes, but all those things go back to the word of God. Whether it's a new life in Christ being brought from being separated from God in our sin and being brought into spiritual life or having our spiritual lives, those of us who are already followers of Christ, renewed, refreshed, and revived. It's always a work of God. And so in the next few moments, I would just like for us just to, again, I know we talked about praying for revival last week. I'd like us for just a moment just to pray before we go into our time of invitation. And our time of invitation we want you to respond as God, as God leads you. If you want to come to the altar and pray, we want you to come pray. If you want to pray there at your seat with somebody, we want you to do that. And, and if you're here this morning and you say, I have never, I've never made a decision to follow Christ. I, you're, you're talking about a renewed life. I don't even have a new life in Christ. Jesus Christ lived a perfect sinless life and came, as you've heard multiple times this morning, died in our place so that we might be brought near to God. Died on a cross for our sins. Raised to life on the third day in accordance with the scripture. This was something that lined up with promises that God had already given. And if you've never made that decision, let today be the day that you say yes to Christ. No more living for sin. No more living for self. I'm going to live for Christ and live for Christ alone. And maybe you're here this morning and you would say, I need that renewal. Well, that's what I'd like for us to do in the next moment. I'd like for us just to pray that God would revive our hearts. So join me if you would in prayer.
Lord God, we come before you and we, we come before you recognizing that uh, when we ask for a revival, we're asking for something that is beyond us. That's why we're asking you. We also recognize it's not anything that we can, we can work up ourselves. It's not anything we can sustain once it begins. And it's not something that we get to decide uh, when it ends or, or how it goes from there. But all of that is, is you. But Father, we can grieve your Holy Spirit. We can quench his work. We can throw cold water on what he's doing. And so, Father, I pray that that you might give us you might give us that awareness of your presence among us. By your spirit, he who lives within us, you are present. You're present by virtue of being the God who is omnipresent, but also your Holy Spirit. He is living in every follower of Christ. He's here. He's within us. So, Father, I pray that we might be aware of your presence and that your Holy Spirit might dwell might be at home in our hearts. Father, we know when we pray for revival, we know there are so many things that Satan would want to do to keep revival from occurring or to derail it or distract it when it happens or to tempt people to try to keep revival going to make it something less than what you want it to be whenever you have chosen for it to end. But Father, I pray that we would be aware of his schemes, that we'd be wise in accordance with your word. And Father, I just pray that you would do a work. You would do a work in us, in each of us. You would renew, renew that spiritual life within us, that you would revive your people, and that that revival when you choose to send it whatever that looks like father we pray that that would result in an awakening that you'd do a work and that it would clearly just be you not a leader not a person not a group of people not anything like that who could ever take credit for that no one the catalyst except you your spirit your word And may you do it in your time, in your way, how you see fit, that you would renew each of our hearts as we seek you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.